This is Sound and Vision from KEXP. I'm Emily Fox. Femi and Made Kuti are the descendants of Fela Kuti, the pioneer of Afrobeat. Femi and Made are carrying on the family musical tradition and have put out a double album together as father and son. They joined me by Zoom just outside of Lagos, Nigeria, to talk about their work and their family's music legacy. So Femi, your father was Fela Kuti, and you know, I understand he was vocal against the government in his music, and I understand he was arrested more than 200 times in his life. There was also a violent raid to his home in 1977 involving a thousand soldiers, and so was all of this a response to just his music? Yes, I think it was a response to just keep him silent and make him fear and stop talking or singing. Uh, yes. I mean, what what were the main things that he was addressing in his music at the time? Corruption, negative effects of colonization, Africa pride. We had to be proud of ourselves, names. Um, I mean, all things really re- related to pre-colonialism and um, mainly injustice and corruption. Yeah. I mean, do you have memories yourself of, you know, the government getting involved because your father was speaking out on these issues? I remember most of the beatings or the arrests. Yes, I was the latter part. I I moved into Kalakuta, so I was arrested and beaten a couple of times, too. Uh, so, yes, I do have very vivid memory. Wow. Very clear memory, yes. Yeah. I mean, you talk about, you know, what your father spoke about in your music, and I'm thinking about your recent album, Femi, Stop the Hate. And in it, you also talk about government corruption. You talk about land grabs, issues around privatization, you know, many more issues. We criticize government because we want government to stop and change their bad ways. How much do you feel like the government has or has not changed? since your father was singing about similar issues decades ago? Government hasn't changed in any respect. Um, It's just things have just gotten worse. But then, um, as a little bit uh, my knowledge of historical facts, when I understand slavery, colonization, and bad African governments, um, I'm not one that is impatient with that change anymore. Because when you understand the gravity of the anarchy that happened on this continent during slavery, colonization, I mean, that history was really wild. And unfortunately for us, we don't have footage like um, the Holocaust, where we can see true live what happened. And documentaries of what happened. Photography started in the latter part where you see the KKK or hanging of black men and women or burning burning of people or lynching. But uh, it's not like footage of 400 years of slavery. So I think, and then education of pre-colonial times, of colonial times where we were totally brainwashed taught us the reverse of that history, which our fathers and mothers took on. And so we 
are very negative to our culture, our tradition, which is what colonization did. And African puppet governments were put to install that and make sure things don't reverse to us having positive attitudes towards ourselves. And then education must teach us about um, pre, um, before colonization, how we had great empires, our contribution to world and global problems or education. We know now for a fact that Africa had the first university, we were writing, we traded. So it wasn't, they didn't come and meet primitive people like the books teach us. And we were far ahead of Europe and America in terms of um, knowledge. And this is not taught. And it's people like my father who put this in the forefront of their careers to enlighten many of us. So, Mare Kuti, you know, you have a song on your album, um, it's called Different Streets, um, that mentions your grandfather, Fela Kuti. And, you know, you also say in that song how, you know, we're still facing the same problems he was addressing in the 70s. We must now understand just how scary it is that we are facing the same problems from the 70s. And think for ourselves how hard we must work collectively to be free. Different streets... Tell me a little bit more about that message in your song, Different Streets. I've heard Fela being called a prophet all my life, and my understanding of a prophet is someone that foresees the future and predicts the future, and, you know, prophesizes. But Fela never made a single prophecy. All he ever did was talk and challenge the immediate struggle that he was facing in his life. The people, the names that he called, everybody was alive, everybody was in power. The organizations that he tackled were very much active. So he wasn't predicting the future. And when, when I fear that when Nigerians try to make him into a prophet, it's their, it's their way of failing to acknowledge that while he was alive, they didn't quite understand what he was fighting for. A prophet is what many of us call fella. Someone with very special skills to see very far. But Grandpa was not predicting the future of his songs. He was speaking about everything he saw, everything that was wrong. And when I say that everything that was happening in the 70s and 80s are still happening today, in many cases they've gotten worse. It's like my dad makes the comparison that it was two dollars to one, two naira to one dollar, and now it is 465 or 470 naira to one dollar. And the problem has really gotten about 400 times worse. Corruption is significantly worse than it was in the 70s. The leaders care less about the problems that the country are facing. We know that many, there's the issue with Fulani herdsmen now in Africa, in Nigeria, Boko Haram, kidnapping has gone up. There are more there are paramilitary groups, groups coming about and really there is no indication of concern, not even proper handling of the situation, even concern from government. We don't think that they even care. So the recent shootings at the Lekki Tollgate, they tried to make us believe never happened during the NSARS protests. So the, in many ways, the situations have gotten worse in every aspect. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, the shootings uh, in the NSARS uh, protest. And so when we're talking about SARS, it's, it stands for Special Anti-Robbery Squad. So basically yeah. what is happening is, is police are kind of just going after citizens and it's, it's just kind of this corrupt mentality where they're using their power to take or abuse other people around them. Exactly, as you've put it. You talk a little bit about that in your song, Your Enemy. When we talk of police brutality. You know, you talk about 
police brutality in that song. You know, here in the US, in the US, we're talking a lot about police brutality, specifically white police officers against, you know, black lives here in the US. But your song, it's also talking about police brutality, but in a totally different sense. So can you talk about the background behind, you know, the, what's happening within, you know, SARS and, and, and in this song? Yeah, I, I actually wrote Your Enemy a year before the NSARS protest started. I was, I, I had an encounter with police officers. I've had many encounters. Everybody my age has life-threatening encounter with a police officer, even though it doesn't start that way. So they stopped me. And again, of course, it was, they were not in the right. I didn't, I was in a public cab and they proceeded to search me and, you know, just use a lot of power that they didn't need active. And I proceeded to call my dad. I was I was in a fit of anger because I didn't really understand what was happening. I had just come back from my studies from London. So, you know, the, the difference in the way police handle issues are, are very great. So I, my dad spoke to me and he tried to calm me down. He explained that a lot of the reasons why police act the way they do here is because they're in many ways underprivileged. They don't have good funding. They don't have good salaries. They live in very poor areas. They don't have the, the, the financial capabilities to raise their children. Their headquarters are in very, very poor and sorry states. The places they sleep are awful. What I tried to understand was the mentality of the police officer. You see, it's not the same in, this, in the West. When a policeman attacks a black man, that's a racist act. We're all the same in Nigeria. We're all black. We're all African. And the, the police force is mixed with different ethnicities. So no one ethnicity, you know, dominates the police force. So when, when we have those kinds of encounters every single day, especially towards my generation, it was quite obvious. It, was, it didn't require a lot of thinking after my dad advised me. The police force are a reflection of the system itself. The system is very corrupt. The system doesn't take care of its civil service. And if they need to survive, they'll survive by any means necessary. And if that means using whatever power they have to extort the civilians of their country, then they'll do that. They'll do it by force, by death. They will extort, they'll abuse, they'll jail innocent people. And that's really because the, the government has allowed them to be deprived of a standard of living and have allowed them to extort fellow Nigerians in order to achieve that standard of living. So that's what UN was about, understanding why Nigerian police officers are the, are the way they are, you know, why they are the way they are, and identifying who the real enemy is. When we talk of police brutality, we must know, we must know, we must know why they are the way they are, why they are the way they are, why they are the way they are. Femi, I want to go back to you. You know, you you played in your father's band, um, Fela Kuti, his band for some time. And, you know, I understand growing up, um, you know, your father showed a lot of tough love where he would he would tell you you had to learn the instruments rather than him sharing, you know, his knowledge with you. And so I'm curious how different your musical relationship is with Made um, compared to the musical relationship you had with your father, Fela. Uh, I would say probably completely the opposite. I think um, because I learned, I understood, I understand being a child and being a father, what a child needs. And um, so I give my children the um, love I think is a child needs, the grooming they need to help them become adults. You have to understand again, my father's time. He's just coming out of colonial times and the so-called independence. It comes, his parents were with the knowledge of, if you spare the child, you spoil the child. So his 
He said his parents gave him nothing less than 3,000 strokes. So this was his own era. So, of course, his attitude of bring up, bringing up a child was very different. So that's why I'm saying as Africans, we have to really understand the gravity of colonization and slavery, how it has affected us as people. So we, what we do now is we just blame, blame, we blame for the moment without truly understanding why do our parents act like this? Why did their own parents act like that? And you see, the more we question it, we go back into history. Then we understand slavery. We understand colonization. We understand why good governments that we wanted to rule over us, like Dr. Kwame Krumah or Thomas Sankara were killed, or my father was persecuted. We start to understand this agitation of Black people all over the world. So I'm not critical about my father. I understand why he acted that way. And with my knowledge is why I now said, oh, I have to take these urgent measures to change my attitude to help my children. And hopefully they will do a better job with their children. So I think this is how Africa gets itself back together. In both of your songs within this double album, it's called Legacy Plus, you talk about freedom a lot. And I'm curious for both of you, what does freedom mean for you? I'll let Madi explain that. He has, he's very eloquent now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, freedom is just, as artists, we have the freedom to express ourselves. Fella was raided many times and arrested many times. We had situations where a lot of people, the audience, about 160 people, were taken to jail unjustly for no reason. And where a country doesn't allow its people to voice the problems of its country, that country is not free. If we cannot voice concern against a corrupt government, knowing that you, your position at your job, be it in the medical field, in law, in engineering, no matter what you do, if you stand against the establishment, you are guaranteed to lose your position. That country is not free. Nigeria is far from being a free country. And right now we don't even have freedom of movement, talk less of freedom of speech, because there are high, high, high cases of kidnapping now. The Fulani herdsmen are killing people randomly. They're kidnapping people, they're slaughtering people. There's, there's the Boko Haram, there's, there's there, like I mentioned before, the paramilitary groups. So traveling interstate is now so dangerous that people are not doing it. Everybody now knows someone that knows someone that has encountered very serious danger or death by these people. So we're not safe from law enforcement. We're not safe to travel. We're not safe to speak. And freedom is really the ability to do what feels natural to you, as long as you're not hurting anybody. You should be able to talk, like comedy. You should be able to make jokes about the most ridiculous and painful things. But you shouldn't be able to bring harm to people. And in Lagos, that is the one thing we're not allowed to, because any act against mean, the establishment... You mean Nigeria? Will, <laughs> sorry, in the whole of Nigeria, any act against the establishment will in effect, create danger for you. There is no freedom. Yeah, so, and freedom is to understand that you have to free your mind from colonialism and bad education and religion. <laughs> Such as the, the my, my single, Free Your Mind, was very much about that. It was about understanding how misinformed we've been and how uninformed we are. 
because education taught us nothing about colonial Africa, pre-colonial Africa, definitely nothing about ancient Africa. Didn't teach us anything about why we're all in Nigeria, how the migration might have brought all of us here, what the Yorubas mean, what the Igbos mean, why the North and the South was amalgamated in 1914. We have no understanding of our history. So we're very, we're very misinformed and uninformed. And freeing your mind is, you know, breaking down all those boulders and boundaries and just forcing yourself to use your mind to its fullest capability and understanding that using your mind is really freeing your mind, not decadence. You know, you talk about your single Free Your Mind, and there's this beautiful transition within the double album where we go from Femi's song, Set Your Minds and Soul Free. Set your minds and soul free, yeah, yeah. Set your minds and soul free. Set your minds and soul free, yeah, yeah. Set your minds, set your minds, set your soul free. Two, Made, your song, Free Your Mind. Free your mind, free your mind, free your mind, free your mind. this kind of echo in in this message in both of those songs and so I'm curious were those songs you were working on separately and you just happened to come across the same theme together or were you kind of working together and knew that that was going to be a transition track well, my dad wrote that song in 92 oh <laughs> yeah. nice and okay. I wrote I wrote mine in 2018 inspired by my dad's song from 92 and it was it just so happened that the transition worked that way we didn't meet each other to discuss how we would order the albums. My dad just decided Set Your Mind and Soul Free would be the last for his and I decided Free Your Mind would be the first for mine. So it really was a coincidence, the order. In in Femi, what was your reaction when you first heard, you know, your son's album? Like, what was your reaction realizing that, you know, you're passing down this family tradition and hearing, you know, Made kind of take you know, some, you know, influence of Afrobeat, but also it has, it has a new kind of sound to it. What was your reaction when you first heard his record? Uh, I was quite, um, to be honest, I was quite worried. He goes into the studio. <laughs> we don't know what he's playing. He's going to play all the instruments. He's going to record in six, 16 days. We all thought, wow, my producer is like, it's never happened. Are you sure? But I have a lot of trust because he's my son. So I say, yes, he knows what he's doing. But I'm like, oh, I'm, my fingers are crossed. My whole life is <laughs> worried. And I'm like, hey. And then he goes, he comes back. And I'm like, and I, he blows me away. And I'm so happy and I'm amazed. Because, I mean, he could have gone. He could have copied me. He could have copied my father. It would have been a very easy route. But he found himself. Like I always tell him, what he has done is he has found another universe in the Afro beach. And this makes me um, genuinely proud of him. And um, I, I'm, I am, I mean, I words cannot even describe how delighted I am. I'm such a great son. Shut up. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but overall, like, what was that experience for you to work together on this project, you know, to to be putting out, you know, albums of your own, but then turn that into a double album? And then also just this family legacy of music. I mean, what did that mean for both of you to, to work on this project together? It's really one of those things of finding the right words to describe it really, really hard. It was just, it was serene it was peaceful it was full of love every process was full of love and it was just a lot of passion in music a lot of passion in the message of music a lot of you know 
of trust between ourselves, knowing that each person would die. As worried as my dad says he was, I know he knew that I wouldn't waste his money and waste his investment in the studio. And yeah, it was just, it was, it was comfortable and it was beautiful all the way through. Yeah. That's lovely. Well, I've been speaking with father and son Femi and Made Kute about their double album, which was recently released. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very Big much. Big pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much for having me. <laughs> that was Sound and Vision. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening. As we struggle every day, every day, every day, we try to find a better way. Leave us